0: This is Straight Ahead with the 606 Club of London and David Lewis. (laughs)
1: to this week's Straight Ahead. I'm David Lewis and I'm with you for the next two hours and I've got some great jazz to bring to you and the show as ever is brought to you along with London's leading music venue, the 606 Club of Chelsea. If you've listened to the show over the last few years you will have heard me play tracks from the George G Swing Orchestra and it was a track from that very album that we opened up the show with this week. It was a very good year. Our guest on the show this week is drummer, band leader and composer, Clark Tracy. And we're going to hear from Clark first in around about a half an hour's time. But next to play on the show this week is our guest at the club. This coming Saturday on the 12th of December from 8 o'clock, you can come and watch Tony Kofi play the music of Thelonious Monk. Last year, Tony actually recorded a live album down at the Bear Club in Luton. It featured Alex Webb on piano, bass player Andrew Kleindert, Alfonso Vitali is on the drums and Andy Davis on the trumpet. It uh, was highlighting the music of Cannibal Adley and from that particular album which was called Another Kind of Soul we are going to listen to the title track. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. was BBC and parliamentary jazz awards winner Tony Covey who of course as I mentioned was with us earlier on this year on the show and that was a title track from his album that was recorded last year Another Kind of Soul all about the music of the great cannibal Adderley. So as I have been doing over the last few weeks we are going to have some festive tracks on the show that's all to come in the second hour but uh, there's some wonderful music to come up and something brand new actually from one of my favourite artists of the moment Sandra May Lux say that's all to come in the second hour of the show. Now if you've been enjoying the series of interviews that we've been recording which started off as being I thought I'd do them for a few weeks back in March and here we are in December well the interviews are going to be carrying on into the new year. We've got all the interviews recorded to take us through to the end of this year and I've got guests lined up, with some very very exciting guests lined up ready for you in the new year as well. One of the artists that I interviewed recently is saxophonist Binka Golding and it's a great interview that I think I'll be bringing you next week actually and uh, just as little taster i thought we'd play a track from his recent album and he will explain to you the title of that album during the course of the interview next week but right now we are going to listen to i forgot santa monica Binker Golding. As I say, we're going to be hearing from Binker on the show next week. The title of the track we just listened to was I Forgot Santa Monica, and it was taken from the album, which features musicians Joe Armand Jones on piano, Dan Casmi on the bass, and Sam Jones on the drums. And the album is called, rather creatively, Abstractions of Reality Past and Incredible Feathers. Yep, me neither, initially, but if you listen to the interview next week, you will hear how the title of that album came about. So we've had some wonderful guests on the show this year, and not least was Tom Seals, who was with us about a month ago, I guess and he has released a Christmas single now and I always said the Christmas music was coming in the second hour but I thought I'd uh, sprinkle with a little bit of the festive cheer early on in the show as well so here's the brand new single from Tom along with Natasha Hamilton and I can't wait to spend Christmas with you
0: And get a kiss under hanging mistletoe. This year's a little different. Thank God we got through. Cause I can't wait to spend Christmas with you. Pretty
2: lights are all around us. There's reindeers on a shelf. I'm so happy that you're near me.
0: Couldn't be with no one else.
3: I hear bells of jubilation. at this
1: Christmas singles on the show this week Tom Seals along with Natasha Hamilton the brand new single I can't wait to spend Christmas with you more Christmas songs as I said in our number two of the show this week not long now until we hear from our guest of the week drummer Clark Tracy and in readiness for that I thought we would have Buddy's bit and we are going back to the album from 1987 the Buddy Rich Big Band released an album called Ease On Down The Road we are about to listen to Three Day Sucker which was written and arranged for the band by guitarist Bruce Lofgren Was Buddy's bit for the show this week, which was The Three Day Sucker. Next, we have got a track from Los Angeles based. Hallie Cardman, a singer, who's released an EP this year called Jump for Joy. And the reason it's an EP rather than an LP was well, she started recording it uh, about 10 years ago. But life got in the way, as it sometimes does. Family emergencies, money issues and uh, musician issues. So in the end she decided to release this EP just to get the music out there so it could be listened to. It's full of jazz standards and the track we're about to listen to is a great version of On the Street Where You Live.
3: If Enchantment stare. Well, hey, they don't bother me. For there's nowhere else on earth that I would rather be. Let the time go
1: It was a great version of that jazz standard on the street where you live. That was Callie Cardman from the EP Jump for Joy. So finally, it is time that we get to meet our guest on the show this week, drummer Clark Tracy. First of all, we're going to start off with a track from his quintet, which is called Jubilation. You're listening to me, David Lewis, and this is Straight Ahead. If you want to know what's happening at the 6, check out the website at (laughs) 606club.co.uk. Week's guest on Straight Ahead is drummer, composer, band leader, and club promoter Clark Tracy. Clark, hello and welcome. Hello, thank you very much for having me. Well, I've been looking forward to this. You and I just had a little chat before we started recording, and uh, for a longest time, I've wanted you on the show. And finally, during lockdown, it gives me the excuse to capture you, musicians—the the elusive uh, pride of musicians. <laughs> Haven't been quite as busy as you'd like this year, I guess.
4: Yeah, we're all hibernating at the moment. Um, I think what's happening is actually we're all getting on with things. Uh, of a musical nature that we've been meaning to do in the background for ages. That's what I've been up to, loads
1: yeah. of stuff. Well, let's, let's let's get into that then. That's an interesting point to pick the interview up. I mean, because I've spoken to so many musicians through the course this year and some have been learning new instruments. Some have decided to finish scores that they started working on ages ago. What, what's what been your main focus during this period of time?
4: Uh, I suppose my main focus is... is um, doing something about the reams of my dad's music that I've inherited mm-hmm. uh, in handwritten format. Um, so proper old charts. The original stuff, yeah. Yes. That's, that's, that's how it is. Scrappy old paper now, you know, the parchments with sellotape falling off, you know. Um, I'd love to get those out of my room upstairs and in, in print and mm-hmm. um, I want them to be played. Uh, not necessarily just by myself, of course, but I mean, you know, I can do my dad's tributes for the rest of my life. Um, but that's something I made a conscious decision I wasn't going to do after the first few years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I want to make these charts available. i have got big band, octet, sextet, quintet, quartet, trio. Um, he had such a wide range of output. I mean, the sextet that I'm looking at at the moment, all his sextet suites, I think there are about eight or nine suites of just the sextet stuff.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: And um, so that's what I've been doing. I've um, I got hold of a, a noted uh, software program and
1: I'm, I'm away. That's what's been keeping you busy. and I, I, Obviously, your father was Stan. I'm sure most of the listeners will know that. And uh, I'm guessing one of the questions I normally start off an interview with is how were you exposed to music at home? Were your parents musicians <laughs> clearly mm-hmm. with you? I mean, at what stage do you remember music becoming the main event in your life, the main focus? Very early on, I would assume.
4: It's it's a funny one because, of course, it's all mixed in with the earliest memories as, as well. Um Stan assured me that the first thing I heard when I came back from hospital was, um, I think it was Soul Station. Um, so, you know, I was, I was being uh, bombarded by some of the greatest jazz ever recorded right from the, the word go. That doesn't mean it would necessarily influence me, but mm. uh, I did have a grand piano to go and potter at next door and I was learning the tunes uh, uh, of straight from the piano. And... Um, There was also a set of vibes that Stan used to play. It was always set up, so we would do duets together.
1: Which was actually Um, your first instrument, wasn't it? um, I would say piano was
4: my first one. Right. Uh, I sort of slid into vibes for a bit. I mean, none of this was very serious. I also had a clarinet um, just to do Akka impersonations. Um, And I also had uh, a violin that I had to take up in order to take music lessons at school. Yep. Uh, which I
1: swiftly dropped. <laughs> the violin um, or the lessons or both?
4: <laughs> well, I I wasn't getting any making any headway and I, I it just wasn't you know, I was already doing gigs on drums.
1: Right, yeah. That's
4: the silly thing, you know. So it wasn't and that your was, dad was
1: pushing you into being a musician, it's never, just because it was natively around no. the house. It was just there. Well, look, as far as the instruments are
4: concerned, they were just all sitting around the house and it was up to me if I wanted to do anything. Even the drum kit suddenly appeared from nowhere.
5: Mm-hmm. Uh,
4: there was, it was um, a friend of a friend left their drum kit and uh, while he went away somewhere. I mean, I have no idea where he
1: went. <laughs> <laughs> you can only imagine that. I was going to say, what your <laughs> father did with that person, we don't need to entertain, do
4: well, we? <laughs> <laughs> but there, there I was, I had this little... I think it was a premier kit at the time, and, and yeah. um, I really took to it. Um, but no, I mean, as, as for performing it, um, that hadn't really occurred to me uh, because there was nobody at my school vaguely interested in jazz. Or mm-hmm. um, I was going to my dad's gigs, obviously. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe not obviously, but I mean, that's what I wanted to do. Mm. I loved his music. So I remember my earliest recollections are actually places like the early club at Ronnie's. The um, original club. The original club yeah. on Gerrard Street. You know, I do actually remember walking down there and, and, and the shape of the club and Stan playing there um, and meeting some of those greats as well. You know, the, the people like Ben Webster and Sonny Rollins. Mm. Um, you know, I was only a wee lad, but I was introduced to them. And I, those are recollections that were very strong to me at the time. <laughs> um, So it was all mixed in. and And then the inevitable... Came one day, you know, I left school at 16 because I didn't want to pursue that anymore. I wanted to be a musician, I told my school.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: I want to be a musician. They just bloody laughed, of course, you know. <laughs> um, as you would in 1978, I suppose, 1977. But then a year later, um, Stan's drummer, and my biggest influence, Brian Spring, left the band. And uh, it was it was between my mum and my dad to make that dreadful decision. To, uh, employ their son on on drums, replacing one of the gods of jazz drumming in Britain.
1: Because you said you'd been gigging from a, a young age. So by that early yeah. age in your life, you were ready to step up into the main seat in the band. I wouldn't say
4: I was ready at all, no. <laughs> um, not not no. I mean, the thing is, nobody else booked me for about three and a half years. <laughs> so I, I knew my place, you know, I mean, I, had, I just hadn't done my homework. Right, yeah. The reason Stan says the reason he employed me is because, A, it felt comfortable, okay, mm. B, um, I could drive him around to gigs now. Um, (laughs) The important (laughs) reasons are coming out. Exactly. Uh, And and C, I knew his written music better than anybody else, so he wouldn't have to rehearse. Mm -hmm. I could just literally go and and do the gig for him, whether it was up to scratch or not. Um, But yeah, after three and a half years of of nobody else employing me, it, it did suddenly... Hit me smack in the face. It's like, well, do you want to keep doing this or or, or are you going to take it seriously or not? So I I turned to the practice pad for five, six hours a day for months. Yeah. And and things started to change.
1: The old adage the harder you practice, the better you get kind of thing. It's a surprisingly truth, isn't it? A surprising truth.
4: What I'd now tell my students is when you take yourself seriously, so will others. You know, mm. that's, that's how that was my personal experience because the phone started ringing after that. Mm-hmm. So it was proof positive, you know.
1: So you were then playing not only with Stan's bands but also under your own name and, and session work for other guys.
4: Uh, that yes, after a while, yeah, the the phone started ringing to work with just about everybody. I was I was very fortunate to get the um, the drum chair at um, uh, the Ball's Head. Oh yeah, yep Barnes, Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> which was at the time. Uh, it had a residency by the f- famous Tony Lee, right? Uh, the Tony Lee Trio. And that had jazz eight times a week because there were two on Sunday. Um, and on the Tuesday was his big night, you know, Tony Lee in concert, they called it. And then uh, after that, I mean, that finished at 11, of course, but straight after that from midnight till about three, four, sometimes five in the morning, I was mostly the house drummer at Six O Six Club in Chelsea, just around the corner. Mm-hmm. So I was the amount of experience I got in that year or so.
1: Would it be true to say that that era amazing. of jazz—it was a very fortunate time to grow up in—that the clubs were there, the residencies were there, and it gave you a lot of opportunity to be gigging night after night.
4: I I don't know. I mean, looking back now, because because it's always being compared to what it's like these days, but. Um, i I think I just got incredibly lucky i mean there was the there was the residency at the ball's head was a big deal because mm. you you were playing with somebody different every night of the week there were these new tunes you were being given to play on the spot um sometimes we had some great American names coming through just for two or three days as part of their tour they do the ball um and then the six oh six was just like again, night after night, different folk, and it was it was a trio until the weekend. It became a quartet. Um, I I don't know because the six oh six. If you look at that today, it's it's all different bands every night mm-hmm. of the week, yes. you, as you know for mm-hmm. well. Um, the 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 bull's head is is kind of dipped in favour these days a little bit, let's say. But that's still different bands every night of the week, and it's it's not all jazz, of course, but um yeah there's <clears throat> the the connection has gone you know that mm.
1: um, and you were mentioning uh, at the start that you're looking in this period of time to get your dad's pads down have you managed to find the time to do that are you beginning to get on top of it or
4: no i'm not getting on top of it
1: no. was he <laughs> he was that much of a prodigious writer then that you're still still trying to transpose or not transpose but bring up to date his his original charts
4: he, he did write a hell of a lot of music i mean his. His octet started in 1973 and everything he wrote for, for that band uh, was due to a commission. In fact, the same deal with his sextet, um, which started just a couple of years. Well, that was about 1980, I think that started. Um, and it was like almost every year he's been given another commission. Mm. So, um,
1: and, and that was really to, to help pay for everything. And would it be writing? Because obviously you too are a writer these days, a composer. Were there times that you and your dad sat down and you kind of talked about the way he went about writing or did you pick it up from reading his charts when you were playing? Has it influenced you as a composer? It surely you must have done. He has
4: influenced me. Um, there are things that he said. We, I mean, we used to sort of share conversations in the card journeys mm. occasionally about, about composition or chords. Um, I mean, he he was just in love with the sound of the sound that a piano made for a star, but orchestration—he was in love with that. Mm. Um, so, you know, I remember my again back to my very earliest memories. He'd be holding ten fingers down on the most ridiculous sounding chord, and then asked me to play sort of three or four on top of that in the, in the upper register. Mm. And so I could hear the two separate and then together and, and this freaked me out. And he thought that was great, you know. Um <laughs> have those extra fingers. <laughs> but yeah, I mean that I, I was aware of the, of the beauty of those sort of sounds that he was I mean, i still not heard anybody to this day come up with those sort of sounds. Mm, mm. His voicings were extraordinary. Um, he could make an orchestra out out of a sextet or an octet, you know, I mean it is ridiculous is the way he perceived the music um so to try and i mean there's no way I would ever dream of copying or attempting to copy what he did but um the way he wrote chords for example was old school with i mean which everybody today would would recognize as being old school um you know there were no greek sounding chords for example mm-hmm. um lydian was always a sharp 11 major 7 sharp 11 for, for him <clears throat> but again if there's any musicians living uh, living, living. <laughs>
1: possibly yeah, after this year yeah, anyone still
4: alive <laughs> um <laughs> he 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 infrequently wrote say a d6 rather than a d major 7 because he wanted the sound of the d6
1: and for, for non musicians listening the 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 aural difference that would have been Da da
4: da, doo, da 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 da
1: da 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 being the sixth chord, right, as yep. opposed to including the major 7 D da 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 Right, 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 yep, yep. So that's the kind of sounds that... It's keep... subtle, isn't it? It's, it's subtle. It's a very but subtle
4: it... difference because they're both the same, but if you're playing the D6 for one bar, mm-hmm. um, it, the emphasis is not on the major seven or the flat seven.
1: And knowing that I was going to be speaking to you this week, one of the questions I was going to ask, being the son of a famous musician, you know, the offspring of somebody who's already in the business. Is it the Sword of Damocles? I mean, it, it must, I guess, have its good and bad. To some degree, surely it opens doors, but then there's always the comparisons, I'm guessing. Would that be fair to say? That's totally fair to say. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you must have faced that coming up then as a youngster coming through the ranks. Yeah. Um, did, you, did you have you kind know, of almost feel that you had to prove yourself more because of that, that I am a musician in my I, I, own right, not because of the surname?
4: I think thanks to Stan's tutoring um as as a human being if you like um i didn't need to prove anything Mm. you know i was was fairly satisfied in my inadequacies and um you know happy to continue until things improved over time you know but yeah i mean I've, i've i've had fairly frequently over the last 40 years let's say whenever i've written something of any substance it's mostly been compared to stan mm. which i th- okay i think it's a little unfair to be honest we we write differently mm. we write for different types of people but that aside if they want to do that fine you know i'll get it mm. totally get it mm. it's like poor mercer ellington i don't think he ever put pen to paper did he <laughs> but you know, still the, the
1: comparisons are drawn
4: constant comparisons um but in in, in a good way um i was telling the student just the other day you know i was standing in the hotel lobby uh just just arriving and i turned around and just leaving was max roach right and i, I thought well, i can't just not say anything. i've got to just go and say thank you mm-hmm. which i did i just mm-hmm. went up straight out to him, uh, mr roach you don't know me i'm from london i'm a drummer just want to say you've influenced me so much you'll never know and thank you ever so much and he said oh that's really kind of you what's your name I said, clark tracy he said, "Tracy, is it is, you related to Stan Tracy?" I'm going, "Yeah, yeah, it's my dad." And said, "Oh, come and sit down. Let's have a talk." That was it. Next, sort of fifteen, twenty minutes, we're having a chat, yeah. which I wasn't expecting. That If you can call that opening a door, yeah, that was
1: rather nice. Yeah, but I mean, as I said, it, it's all well and good being given that name to start with, but then proving it in your own right, and you know, the course of time has proven the musician you are in and of your own right. So, you know, yes. It, I, I think often it puts a burden. I had one of the Dankworths on early in, right. in the year. And again, similar sort of question. That was uh, Emily I had on. And, you know, similar oh. kind of thing. It was, you know. You know she's got more than a,
4: her parents. She?
1: <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. say like, that was one of the questions I wanted to speak with you, you know, knowing that I was going to be talking with you. But let's also mention the fact you've mentioned it or referenced it a couple of times so far about the fact that you're an educator as well. You do a lot of teaching, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Are you still working at Leeds at the university? Uh,
4: Birmingham, actually. Birmingham. Um, it, it's, it's funny you should say that. It looks like I've just finished my teaching at Birmingham, rather sooner than I expected.
1: Right. Okay. But still, so, uh, still available I, as a private tutor.
4: I, I would love to be available as a private now that there's there's no gigs again. Um, <laughs> you know, I've I finished work in Birmingham probably the end of this year. Right. And and then uh, um, I've got the rest of the the teaching year January to September doing bugger all mm-hmm. uh, or July where it was. Um, I, I don't know if I'm returning to
1: Berlin next year. Nothing's planned at this stage. Have you seen any flick of light in the diary yet for, for gigs? I mean, I know it kind of yeah. faltered into life and then abruptly stopped again.
4: Yeah. Well, fortunately the, you know, I don't mind plugging the old six again, but that was one of the few that booked my band. Mm-hmm. I have to say, which is it really nice. So that was my, official current lineup it was under my name which is always nice um and there's a gig in maidenhead
1: um that's been going monthly the nordens yeah i've been i've been there yeah it's a lovely theater yeah Yeah, they've
4: they've kept it on throughout all this nonsense and um i'm I'm there on friday
1: so you're streaming presumably yeah
4: it's just live stream but it's it's a big theater beautiful big piano it's a lovely theater
1: yeah and,
4: uh, and it's some
1: bread and butter, basically, now, of course, as well.
4: It's, it's, it's lovely, you know, it's, it's something.
1: And that is one of the, uh, the things that's come to light this year. All the clubs, you know, The Six particularly, have invested so heavily in being able to stream now that yeah. the sound quality is great if you're at home and want to be involved and support musicians as much as best you can through these times. These live yeah. streams are actually invaluable, aren't they? They are. Um, I mean... <sighs> If, if you want to talk about my own little club for a while. Yes, here, yes, um, I was going to get to that for sure, because that was in we, the threat of closing, wasn't it, the Hearts, Jazz. Well, we, 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 I can't remember how far we got now, but I, I think it was
4: as far as everybody else, probably like the beginning of March mm-hmm. into our season, and then we closed. And Because
1: um, you're a Monday nightclub, aren't you? From... Sunday. Sunday,
4: sorry. Sunday, right, yeah. Sun, Sundays, yeah. And then um, we had a festival in October, which we blew out as well, of course. Mm-hmm. And then that would have been our 10th year. Um, and then we had this little opening again last week on the 1st. We, we, we put on Art theme and uh, Alex Clark
5: mm-hmm.
4: uh, Quintet, which, which I was part of. And we didn't live stream it, but we filmed it with a view to streaming it one day.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: And, and also as an experiment to see if this is going to work. Um, because we can still get like 60 people in the audience
1: Mm -hmm. because it's such a big venue yeah yeah.
4: Um, and again we've got lovely big grand pianos it's it's horrific to see all this stuff going to waste
1: Mm. Um,
4: you know we had to make up the money side of it a little bit from our coffers which is fine we covered that did
1: you get any money from the Arts Council at all? no finishing off the first part of our interview with Clark there with a track from his album Stipper Stones called Manstone Rock. More from Clark very shortly. But next we go over to Shana Tucker who is a singer, songwriter and cellist and she released an album earlier this year and from that we're going to be listening to Lazy Afternoon.
5: Listen
0: online, on DAB and on smart speakers straight ahead with London's leading music venue The 606 Club. <laughs>
6: the human in view except us two It's a lazy afternoon and the farmer leaves his reaping and the meadow cows are sleeping and the speckled trout stop weeping up
1: And that was cellist Shana Tucker. You'll find the track that we just listened to, Lazy Afternoon, on an album called Shine. It's time that we go back to our guest for this week, drummer Clark Tracy. Fascinating guest he is as well. Been longing to get him on the show. And uh, at the start of this part of the interview, we are going to be listening to a track from the Dominic Gallia's London Quintet called Once Upon a Time. <laughs>
4: How did you first get involved in running the club? Uh, it, was, it was bonkers, really. I, I've been working for Hearts Jazz, which is what the club is. Mm-hmm. Um, long the early eighties. It was right. one of the one of my first outside gigs that I used to do, um, and it was it was eleven years ago when they were just about to close on their fortieth anniversary. I just happened to be doing their last gig, unaware that they were about to fold. Mm-hmm. And the guy who had been running it, Brian Benton, uh, all those years, had, had uh, just died. And um, the, the 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 other promoters who helped him had just basically had enough, you know, all getting on and sort of doing We can't do this. We've lost half our audience. Only doing once a month now, you know. So it's all looking very sorry. Um, and I think it was my mum, who, who uh, sort of shouted in my head, she wasn't there, but she's kind of, this is, I mean, it's exactly the sort of thing she used to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the interval, like I said, uh, i would got quite like to go running this and see, how, see if I can get anywhere with it. Um, so it wasn't long after that, we started in a new venue and it's, it's just been once a week. You know, different, fresher approach, perhaps. You know, uh, a new membership system. Um, and and the I found the punters were there, ready to support us.
1: That's the great thing, you know. With, Jazz is still very vibrant, isn't it? There's still a great audience out there that wants to watch great live jazz. It is.
4: It's, you know, if anyone says anything to the contrary, they,
1: you know. No, no, they no don't, they're not looking at the fact and the they're truth. Not looking, the nah. clubs are generally full, you know, they always were. There's plenty of people who want to come and see great jazz. Yeah. Big bands, octet, straight ahead, you know, there's plenty of people.
4: The, in fact, you know, I think you hinted at it earlier. There just aren't enough of them.
1: Exactly that. Exactly. You know,
4: there's, um, all kinds of reasons why they're not there now. But um...
1: now I I did mention to you that the next question coming just before we started recording that uh, I've been lucky enough to see I think on three or four occasions, and the comparison I'm going to make is not to your father, it's to Stan Kenton. Mm. Whenever I listen to Kenton, there's a beautiful quality to him. You don't quite know where he's going to go. He seems to listen to things. Uh, and create different sounds i'm no musician so to me it's just the sound that is coming to me and when i watch you drum and what you pull out of your band it's it's this journey that it's got a lovely aura to it and uh, and this isn't me trying to eulogize over you because you're a guest i honestly have wanted to talk to you about the way that you write music because uh, has the kenton link ever been pointed out before (laughs) Uh, no oh well there you go i'm laughing because stan hated stan kenton really well he now i like kenton for a certain period so the 75 76 kind oh. of period i don't like so much kenton's earlier stuff i fair enough I'm, I'm, i mean, I'm, I'm,
4: listen I'm, kenton was never played in my household right i mean a few guys were played you know they just there, there might be one album lurking there you know, yeah, yeah 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 and it was up to me if i wanted to look down that rabbit hole but um kenton just never got played in my house so. I, I know bug all about Kenton and, <laughs> and his music. I really do, so right. that's why I found it quite amusing what he said. Although you're you're talking more about the way he um, presented the the groups and
1: yeah, and, and the, the music sounds, clouds. yeah, and the delicacy. I think that's probably the one you've got a, a a lovely delicacy about the sound that comes from your band, and that's what really a, a, a appealed to me. It wasn't mm. a wall of sound. There was a a lovely a, a, a myriad of sounds coming together to to create the, the finished well, sound.
4: Can, just in order for me to understand that a bit better, mm. if I can ask you a question, mm. is, is that because I'm a, a drummer leading a band? Is that the kind of thing that you would expect or you've I, experienced
1: before from I drummer think led bands? Drummer led bands often tend to be loud, right. predominantly loud, and they haven't got mm. the flavor and the intricacy that you come sometimes expect when the lead is coming from somewhere else in the band, you know, say it be a, a sax or a trumpet or in the horn section. It, it just struck me, particularly the first time I came, it was with your big band the first time I saw you. Mm. And, and, and that's what I appreciated most. It was the movements that were going on. And that really, I came away from there just like, and, and because I'm not a musician, and it's probably my ignorance in, in, in comparing you to Kent, and I don't know who else, in comparisons are never necessarily a sound thing, but you know, it puts you in mind of somebody and yeah, that, sure. it, it was that kind of movement sure. idea that Kenton did because let's face it he was a Marmite some of his stuff was not to my liking at all mm. but when mm. he was spot on it, it, I loved what Kenton did because he was so well, I mean, different
4: quite, quite a lot of my mates you know really into Kenton mm. but, um, I, I, I gave it a huge body sort of um, parentally <laughs> <laughs> Shown a different road I mean uh, Duke Ellington and Thelonious Monk were the two major influences from from my earliest years and drummers drummers oh
1: well um, my first one was Brian Spring you know he was my dad's drummer for 10 years um, did you sit in with him much did you actually get a chance to learn with him
4: it, it's not, it wasn't really a case of sitting in with him he, he, he would pop over to see Stan mm-hmm. fairly frequently at one point he only lived about a mile away right um, in Tooting we lived in Stretton mm-hmm it um, used to pop over fairly regularly as a lot of musicians did but I was usually practicing upstairs at the top of the house mm-hmm. and suddenly the door would open and there's Brian, Brian. And like, oh. <laughs> you know <it> <laughs> diminished to the size of an inch <laughs> you know um, but the, the, it, it didn't give me lessons per se you know um, uh, we, we would discuss it more in philosophical terms mm-hmm. Um, which is what I spend a lot of my time doing with uh, student students these days yeah. as well um, you know there's only so much you can show people about what to practice and how to practice it I think you know if 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 as a student which I was in those days let's say I was a student mm. um, I wasn't really but I was a student of, of the music and drumming in itself so I knew I knew I had mountains to learn I wasn't quite sure which way to go so I didn't have a teacher mm-hmm. actually you know uh, totally self-taught really well, Brian was my biggest influence and I've That's been working it I out also you, obviously
1: never have a, uh, you didn't do the formal education because you were gigging from 16 Yeah, so you very much learned on the gig Yeah, effectively yeah. and as you said after yeah. the first couple of years you knew you then had to take it seriously and up your practice and yeah. teach yourself and self-taught you say pretty much yes you had Brian helping yeah. you along and listening
4: Yeah, but- I mean I, I knew quite a few of the other drummers over here um Brian, Brian, funnily enough, um, was the one who, who sh- played me for the first time. The, the my first major influence uh, from abroad, which was Roy Haynes. Mm-hmm. Um, this, he played me this album called "Out of the Afternoon," and I, I play it to all my students today because it's the, the profound effect it had on me. I, I just want to always share that with people. Um, Roy's playing on it is just uh, you know sublime it's as good as it gets for me um, it's not full of notes mm-hmm. it's in fact it's the opposite it's, it's how it, um uh uh oh uh the kind le- of economical yeah so the uh, less economical. is more approach totally
5: yeah yeah
4: it's, it's a bit like a monk solo really
5: mm.
4: you know it's the right place at the right time um and the sound of his drums. It's the whole caboodle. I ended up literally, literally buying everything Roy had ever recorded. Um, and as I did that, and I'm looking at them now, I've got all my finals in front of me.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: As I did that, I could my record ex- uh, collection just expanded mm-hmm. because Roy had recorded with everybody.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, going back to like Lester Young in 47, all the way through with Billy Holiday, Charlie Parker, Bud Powell, blah, blah, blah all the way through until today. He Was, Sarah,
1: was he Sarah Vaughan's drummer for time as well?
4: Yeah, he did yeah. three or four years with Sarah. Yeah, I thought most, so. Mostly uh, touring Europe, I believe. they mm. did a lot of work in France. Anyway, yeah, I became an expert on Haynes mm. and his style of drumming. Mm. But then, of course, if you're going to decide that, you know, this is what you want to do for a living, well, i say a living, if this is what you want to permanently do, then you, you really have to take in everybody. Mm. So... Um, I also studied the likes of Elvin Jones, Max Roach, Philly Joe Jones. It was Philly Joe Jones that Brian Springs studied with right? when Philly was in London um, in the late 60s. And I, I totally get it. The older I get, the, I, I can completely see now how Brian's approach to playing drums was, was so influenced by Philly mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. as his own imagination. Uh, because Philly would look at A, B, C, D and, and, and a moment later he'd turn into D, C, A, B. And and it suddenly it's his, the way he wants to do it, I mean, I mean, with an accent on B.
1: And virtually he, all of the sessions that you look at are the musicians from Blue Note back in the 50s. Philly Joe Jones was so often the go-to drummer at the time, wasn't he?
4: he? He was there an awful lot. I mean, actually, I think the guy who recorded mostly was Art Blakey on those recordings. He was on so many people's recordings. Mm-hmm. Um, but he started a bit younger than uh, many of them. Mm. He started way back I, I can't remember when he was born, 1908 or something. But yeah, he was, uh, he was the, like the father on the drums that everyone looked towards. And I got to know Art Blakey's recordings, of course. And um, he, he became an, a very good acquaintance, I would, I would like to say. Um, when I was 14, I met him um, um my band always played opposite him at Ronnie Scott's, which right. I later found out Blakey invited me to, you know, he asked. Mm-hmm.
1: He wanted you. King. Yeah. Yeah. Which I thought was tremendous, you know. Absolutely. I mean, again, that's that rich period of time you've got to be able to rub shoulders with some of those greats that were still around and playing at the time.
4: Yeah. Another one was uh, Billy Higgins who came yeah. frequently, you know, yeah. and he was, he was a gorgeous man. He was so nice. And, you know, many of them were Kenny Washington, his first trip over when he was about 17, you know, is about the same age as me, maybe a bit younger.
1: And I mentioned yeah. all the other uh, hats that you wear at the, at the top of the interview, but also you've, you've got a record label as well.
4: Uh, well, I've got a couple of labels, but um, one of them is is my own stuff. Yeah. Uh, plus a couple of bands that I wanted to push on the same label. Um, and then the other label I run is is uh, all stands music. You know, it's it's the label that he he began in the eight in the early seventies called Steam.
1: Yeah. Uh,
4: then I picked it up a bit later and called it re-steamed mm-hmm. to make everything or as much as possible available.
1: And then are you writing for yourself much at the moment, other than the work you're doing on your, your dad's pads? So you it's writing for yourself or? it's difficult at the moment, of course. Um, you know, there's there's nothing to write for. So, the inspiration's kind of flat at the moment because it's. In a sense, but, you know, it's, it's funny,
4: funny things moving in my own band at the moment. Um, you know, I've, I've had a quintet for two or three years. <clears throat> and uh, beginning of lockdown, my piano player decided he didn't want to do this anymore. Mm. Um, he, he wants to go, he's still involved in music. Uh, and tremendous young musician, Elliot Sanson. Um, but he, he just decided he didn't want to do this kind of performance side of it It you know, wanted to do his own thing in the studio. All right. So I've said goodbye to Elliot. Um, I got hold of a, a wonderful pianist called Will Barry. Um, he, he did my gig six. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and then my auto player, Sean Payne, uh, who I've noticed is about 13, I think, um, He's he went to Germany. To, he went to Cologne to mm-hmm. get away from all this and do some more studying. Mm-hmm. And the way things are, he he. I see. I've got a tour. This is really. I've got a tour next year in spring.
1: Right? UK or Europe or UK? Mm-hmm. Of course. Mm-hmm. Well, I we'll say
4: UK, England at the moment. Um. But yeah, he thought with the coronavirus that um, it would mean he would have to. Lay off two weeks before and two weeks after the tour. Therefore, the whole thing's not hardly worth doing. Mm. So he's he's left the band because of the because of that. Mm -hmm. Um, He's still only nineteen or twenty.
5: So there you go.
1: Um,
5: It's funny, isn't it?
1: Filling the the seats I I take isn't a hard thing for you, though. There is people knocking on the door.
4: Yeah, unfortunately, um, I mean it's it's down to me at the moment to try and find. See. My my trumpet player Alex Ridout.
1: Yes, I know. I know know the Ridouts have been featuring with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm really into Alex's
4: playing. She's really really serious. I've
1: seen her with you, one of your smaller bands. Yeah, yeah. She's
4: definitely an old head on young shoulders. That Mm, one, mm -hmm. you know, she's lovely personality and everything. Mm. Um, Well, when she went to America last year to to study with um, Brian Lynch, Mm
5: -hmm.
4: and uh, while she was away. I still had all these gigs and uh, with the quintet, and I, I um, started using Daniel Hyam, who was a young trombonist. He'd he been to the Purcell School,
5: mm-hmm.
4: along with Alex and Sean, which is where I first met him again when he was about 14 or 15. He then went to the Royal Academy, which is where I picked him up. So, and he blew the he was blowing houses away. It was absolutely incredible. Some, some of the reactions we had with him was. Just, you know, that's the way it should be. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, well, Alex is coming back. I I think I'm going to make it a sextet. Crazy thing to do <laughs> in, in this climate. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't long after I decided that, that of course we, we all got hit with coronavirus and no one's got any money or gigs. Yep.
1: It's been the case um, of
4: the year. I was I was hoping to record at the beginning of this year with the new band and do gigs throughout the year with it. So, fingers crossed that's going to happen next year. I've I've told everybody that…
1: When's the tour due to start? April and May. Oh, so it gives us a little run into the years by hoping things to get sensible and settle down.
4: I've been planning it since, like, February or March uh, this year. Huge run-up to it. Because in February is my 60th birthday. Right. So I thought, okay, well, there's one hook. Yep. Um, the other one is that I'm I'm fully intending to emigrate to Malta in the not-too-distant future. Mm-hmm. So this will be my last,
1: last tour. T- last tour, yeah. So into the end of this year then, it's just going to be carrying on as you are, educating, hoping that the gigs are going to reopen and looking to the tour next year, I guess. Well, I'm still doing
4: one day a week in Birmingham. I'm there
1: tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, Your own club will open up when restrictions lift, I guess.
4: We're hoping it'll open again in February.
1: Right. We'll let January fizzle out and start again in February, if we're allowed. But let's face it, on the upside, January is normally a quiet month for musicians anyway. So, um, And you have got a great website that people can look at as well, which is ClarkTracy.com. That's Tracy, C-E-Y, it's ClarkTracy.com. Mm-hmm. And you're on Facebook, and I know you're on Twitter as well. You're pretty easy to find on all of the social media. even weapons. on Instagram, now. Me too. I got dragged into it as well. Man, you, didn't it? You'll find me adding you on there pretty soon. Yeah. Sorry to darken <laughs> dark your box Monday, Clark, thank you for your time. It's been great getting you on. And uh, yeah, I, I really hope we can catch up before you do leave the shores and live permanently in Malta. I, well, I've, I've got, I'd love to, to see you. I'd love to come I've see you. I've got
4: dates in April earmarked for the 606 as part of the tour. It's my only London date. The Six have been kinder to me than any other London jazz venue
1: all these years. It's a musicians club, isn't it? Through and through. Steve runs it as such, and it's always so been ingrained That's the club I want to play at. Well, hopefully, I'll get to see you there. It'd be very appropriate and apt, wouldn't it? Yeah. It certainly would. Thank you so much. All right. <laughs> oh, many thanks indeed. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Want to know what's happening at the six, check out the website at 606club.co.uk. Finishing off our interview with Clark with a track that he composed called Stability. It was a Lockean string quartet and it featured Christine Tobam. Our guest on the show next week is Binker Golding, and I promise you that's not an interview you want to miss. Articulate and fascinating. Really good interview, and he'll be with us on Straight Ahead next week. I'll be mentioning about the gigs we've got coming up at the club a little bit later on in the show, but next we have got a track that is being produced by... Alex Garnett and I mention that because Alex is another one of the artists you'll be hearing on the show in the next few weeks well he's been working with singer Emma Smith who of course is part of a musical dynasty her father Chris Smith a great musician in his own right Emma sang for many years with Nigel they have released a Christmas single I think we've got one of the first UK airplays of it and it plays next on Straighthead this week this is Santa Blues (laughs)
2: i live alone ain't gonna be lonely this christmas i call my santa on the phone on christmas eve he'll bring his loving, and i'll wrap myself in mistletoe I'm gonna go home Cause he knows just how I feel He calls himself Chris Kringle But some say that he's not a real Maybe he's from Memphis He got a suit from a thrift store But as long as he's so good to me I just keep wanting more Life's gonna be just fine My face will show no winter frown Life's gonna be just fine this Christmas I've been a good girl Stockings on the bedpost Can't wait for him to come to town Because he knows just how I feel. Calls himself Kris Kringle, but some say that he's not real. Maybe he's from Memphis. He got a suit from a thrift store. But as long as he's still loving me, I just got to have more. Life's gonna be just fine this Christmas. My face will show no winter frown. Life's gonna be just fine. Stalking on the bed, can't wait. Just can't wait. I just can't wait for him to come to town.
1: Smith with Santa Blues. So let's look at the gigs we've got lined up for you at the club this coming weekend. In a few hours' time, you'll be able to hear Dan Reinstein, who unbelievably is celebrating 18 years with us at the club. Then on Friday, you've got the Coal Miners, which is going to be a great soulful groove kind of a set. On Saturday, as I mentioned early on in the show, Tony Kofi is going to be playing the music of Thelonious Monk. And on Sunday, all of these gigs get going at 8 o'clock, by the way, and they will be live-streamed as well. So if you go over to the website, 606club.co.uk, create yourself an account, and then for a very, very small fee, you can watch all these great artists from the comfort of your own home. On Sunday, we have got Sarah Jane Morris. And in fact, Sarah Jane is going to be another one of our guests. I've been busy recording these interviews for you. And we're going to hear from Sarah Jane now with Head & Heart.
7: There's just no way to say how much I love you never made me cry, that's just fine I've only got my fear to put above you You know we all get scared from time to time Just love me with your head and heart Love me from the place it starts Love me with your head Love me like a child There's just no way to say The things I'm feeling No way to tell you All the things you mean Cause every day I only feel like Stealing A way to where I know I can be clean Just love me with your Head and heart Love me from the place. Stars. love me with your head and heart Just love me like a child Just love me with your head and heart Love me from the places it starts Love me from your head and
0: heart
7: Love me when I'm white. I'm
1: now we get back to the festive music on the show this week and I'm going to be playing a track from well basically our featured album for the month of December which is Gabriel Lachin's I'll Be Home for Christmas it's been receiving amazing critical acclaim and rightly so full of the wonderful songs from Christmas that you'd expect and the track that we're going to be listening to this week is God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen The album is called I'll Be Home For Christmas from Gabriel Latch and it features Josh Morrison on the drums, Dario Delacci on the double bass and of course Gabriel himself on the piano. It's an 11 track album and if you're looking for a stocking filler for somebody I think you'll find that this Christmas that would be a wonderful gift and uh, why don't you pop over to his website and pick the album up there because as we've mentioned before if you buy the albums direct from the artists it makes an awful difference to them. So I mentioned a little bit earlier on in the show that we had a Christmas single coming from Sandra May Luck. She is one of my artists of the moment, an incredible talent, Canadian-born, a multi-instrumentalist, and she has released a Christmas single called Where Is Christmas?
0: Christmas night, at least it's how it used to be. The magic as the snow brightens up the shortest day, and flaming candles show. day at least it's how it used to be so come on back christmas with carols and with bells and raise every glass to a newborn first noel cause starting from two Dad says it's no big deal. Their marriage hanging by a thread. But then at last they're free. The dinner's done, the kids in bed. At least it's how we.
1: is Christmas from Sandra May Lux and uh, she is an artist I have been loving at the latter part of this year she's released an album back on the 13th of November called Happily Ever Now which I have been loving listening to and if you've not yet uh, heard it go over and take a listen it's available to stream, download and buy as a physical CD so if you are looking for that elusive Christmas present I think that could just be the very find you are looking for multi-instrumentalist Sandra May Lux. So, unfortunately, we are out of time on the show this week, nearly. But just to let you know that on Christmas Eve, Joe Harrop and I will be together bringing you a very special Christmas show. We've uh, looked out some music that I think is going to be perfect for Christmas Eve and particularly for Christmas Day morning. If you're going to be cooking lunch and getting the, the food ready for the family, this could be the very show for you. It's full of wonderful Christmas songs just to make that day all the more special. Thank you for your company this week. And we have got time for just one more track, which is from Myron Warden and the album In This World. And we are going to be listening to a track from that album, which is called As She Sings. Many thanks indeed for your company, and I'll see you at the same time next week.